If you would, please take your Bibles with me and open to the book of the Psalms. We're looking at Psalm 149 this morning. Psalm 149. We read in Psalm 149, verse 4, The Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. And notice, he will. He will. That salvation, beloved, is by his will, not ours. Not ours. You see, salvation is not of him that willeth. Or let me just be clear who I'm speaking about. Salvation is not of the sinner that willeth or the sinner that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For it was God's own will that begat he us with the word of truth. James 1.18 And the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. The Lord indeed delights in his people. And he will. It needs to be emphasized. He, he will beautify the meek with salvation. So who is salvation? My friend, salvation is a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. And we are made beautiful and delightful unto our great and glorious God. As we are made one as we are vitally joined with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, the Lord takes pleasure. The Lord is pleased in his people as they are now found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just just think of it, beloved. God is well pleased with his covenant people. And he so delights in them that he does not leave them alone. He does not leave the objects of his love fallen, sinful, and guilty. But rather, ever so blessedly, he beautifies them. He envelops them in his love. And by his grace, he makes them to see they have been everlastingly robed in his blessed righteousness. Oh, the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Without works. What a blessed thought, is it not? What a blessed thing to ponder. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. Now look at uh, verse 1, if you would. Psalm 149, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord Jehovah. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And beloved, the new song of his grace is always new. <laughs> it's eternal. And his people sing his praise in the congregation of the saints. In the congregation among believers. In the assembly where the saints are gathered together. Beloved, let's sing praise unto the Lord, for he's worthy of all honor and glory. And that's the song of the redeemed, is it not? The, the redeemed of the Lord sing, and this is recorded for us in Revelation 5, verse, verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord. We uh, see this blessed phrase at the beginning of this of the psalm. There in verse 1, praise ye the Lord. And the phrase is seen at the ending of the psalm. And though many religious untaught people use this expression, praise the Lord, as a thoughtless common expression like Amen. 
But to say praise the Lord, to say hallelujah, is a very meaningful thing to say for the believer. We read in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. And so there's certainly nothing common or ordinary about saying praise the Lord. Not, not for the believer. You see, for the believer, this is not just some religious saying. Rather, praise the Lord or hallelujah is very meaningful to the believer. For this hallelujah, this praise the Lord, comes from the very heart that God opened that we might give attendance to the gospel of his son. Makes me think of our sister Lydia. <laughs> Remember her? That particular certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Tiatira, which worshiped God, heard the apostles preaching the gospel. And what happened? What happened? The Lord opened her heart that she might attend unto the things which were spoken of the apostle Paul. How do we know the Lord opened her heart? Scripture records, she believed and was baptized. And no doubt she said, hallelujah. No doubt she said, praise the Lord. When she heard of the double, she received of the Lord's hand. What double am I talking about? Some of you don't know what I'm, what I'm saying when I say double. Well, beloved, the, the double I'm speaking about is not only a full pardon for all her sins, but full, perfect standing in God's sight through the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's dear Son. We read in Revelation 19, verse 6, John recording there in the book of Revelation, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And let Lydia and all of God's people we rejoice in that voice that declares, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him who does all things for us. Beloved, our good and ready to forgive God reigneth, and we give thanks unto our great God that he rules and reigns over all things. Now, though we read in the closing, uh, the closing chapters of the book of Revelation what I just quoted, but uh, that's the whole message of God's book. Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent, the Lord God almighty reigneth over all things. It's said in different ways, of course. Um, if you turn to the book of Jonah, it says there in Jonah, chapter 2, verse 9, ever so blessedly we read there, Salvation is of the Lord. He's the author and finisher of our faith, the captain of our salvation, and he is the Alpha and the Omega of everything we need to stand before God accepted in his holy sight. We read in Psalm 135, you turn there with me, Psalm 135, verse 5, says there, for I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods and whatsoever the Lord pleased that did he in heaven and in earth and the seas and all deep places. Hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty reigns forever. He reigns supreme as, supreme as the absolute sovereign in heaven and in earth. And in Psalm 115, the sweet 
psalmist of Israel sets forth there in verse 1. Very reminiscent of what our brother Paul writes in Galatians. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy holy name we give glory. Unto thy name, not our name, give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? And David replies, Never mind them, beloved. Never mind them who who bring you to doubt where is your God. For verse 3, Our God is in the heavens, and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent, omnipotent reigneth over all things. He reigns sovereign, supreme, and successful over all creation. And he made all things by the word of his power. The birds of the air, they soar above because that's the way the Lord made them. The worms of the soil, they slither below because that's the way the Lord made them. And the fish of the seas, they swim because that's exactly the way the Lord made them. You see, he made all things after his own wise counsel. And not only does he, does he reigneth in creation, so too he reigns in providence. You see, all things that come to pass in time, God has decreed all things from all eternity. Just as we saw in our study in the book of Acts there in, in Acts chapter 15, what a precious portion of God's word. Acts chapter 15 and verse 18, it says there, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He reigns in creation, he reigns in providence, and so too he reigns in salvation. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. And all his saints say, Amen. And we say Amen among the congregation of the saints of believers. You see, they who truly believe, they give the reigning God Almighty all the praise, all the credit, all the attribution for all salvation. And they sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the saints and in and among the gathering of believers. Saints of God, believers, those resting in Christ Jesus, set apart and made holy in Christ. They sing praise unto the Lord God Almighty. My friend, he reigns supreme in all things, in all places, but especially so among his people. And we know that, 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 that is just the way it is. Uh, we don't worship a God who's trying to save everybody. We're not worshiping a God who would like to save you if you'll let him. We're worshiping the true and living God who shall save his people from their sins. Beloved, we worship the Lord as our God, our King, our Creator. For He's the one who made us. I mean, we, we didn't create ourselves. You see, believers love to sing and rejoice in His sovereign salvation. And that's what this new song is all about. This new song about the redeeming covenant of His grace to His people. Who is worthy of all praise? Who is worthy of all honor? Listen again to the new song of the redeemed mentioned in Revelation. I'll, uh, if you're taking notes, it's in Revelation 5, verse 9. But if you'd like to turn there with me, I'll, I'll wait. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. 
what a contrast there is between the song of the redeemed and the song of the reprobate. That's what I nicknamed that portion in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Many will cry out to him in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in, the, in thy name? And in thy name cast all evil demons, and in thy name we've done many wonderful works. What a horrible... I mean, the only one that's worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. He alone is worthy. He said to those who thought they were worthy, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew. Listen to what we read here in Revelation 5, verse 9. For they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And it's not only mentioned in Revelation 5, verse 9, but so too in Psalm 98, we read of the new song. And we love to sing that new song of redemption, do we not? Psalm 98, and I'll begin reading there in verse 1. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. What victory? His victory over sin, his victory over death, his victory over hell and the grave, so that now the believer can say this morning, Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We sing of this new song about the new covenant in Christ Jesus, and is called in the book of Hebrews, a new and living way through the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the saints of God, we love to sing about the Lord God Almighty, of how he reigns in mercy, how he reigns in grace, and how he reigns in all things. Now back to our portion. Look there with me in verse 2. Psalm 149, verse 2. It says there, let Israel rejoice in him that made him. You see that, beloved? We rejoice in him. <laughs> it's so simple. It's so simple and so impossible unless God does a work in your heart. We rejoice in him, not in some private revelation, not in some theological position, but rather ever so blessedly, we rejoice in him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own precious blood. You see, salvation is found only in him. And believers are chosen him, were sanctified in him, and richly blessed in him with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? We're accepted in God's beloved, well-pleasing Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let Israel rejoice in him that made him. So who made us? Who made us new creatures in Christ? The Lord did. And so we read in verse 2, Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. You see, beloved, our king is king in all the earth. As a matter of fact, he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And he's our father and he's our God and he's our savior. Let the Israel of God, the chosen elect of God, let the children of Zion, the children of God, let us rejoice in him who made us. You see, beloved, we're his workmanship. 
That's what the Word of God sets forth plainly and clearly. I want you to look at this. I pray God be pleased to send His Spirit and power and bless His Word and give life to lost sheep and lost lambs this morning. (laughs) How many years, beloved, did we read this portion and not know the first thing about it? Bless your word this morning, Father, for your son's sake, I pray. Ephesians 2, verse 8. We don't have to read fast, do we? We can take our time reading this. Every young person, every old person, every slow person, even for fast people. (laughs) You fast people, I'm going to read this real slow for you. For by grace are you saved. (laughs) It's done. It is finished. (laughs) By grace are you saved through faith. You can put a capital F on that if you like. Through the faithfulness of God's well-pleasing Son. Through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. For his workmanship, beloved. Look what it says in Titus. Titus chapter 3. I'm going to get to verse 5, but I'd like to start in verse 1. And Paul's writing to Titus, and he's giving him this this is the Word of God, God's Holy Spirit moved Paul's pen to write these words to Titus, and they're written for us this morning. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man. To be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. I was talking to uh, Benny. A fellow came by the property. He works for Entergy. And uh, uh, James will will be happy to tell you how much we love that company. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I was just relating to Benny. I heard the story of... uh, a pastor friend of mine who wanted to invite someone to come to church to listen to the gospel. He was a tradesman, a painter, I believe. And he said to him, I don't want to go down there with a bunch of hypocrites. And uh, my friend said to him, well, one more wouldn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) The dust is where we belong, beloved, every single one of us. That's where we're all at. We have no right to look down our noses at anybody. We're in the dust where we belong and and he's high and lifted up 
and we look to him who is the author and finisher of our faith, the captain of our salvation, the one who saves us, not almost, not almost, and then leaves a little bit left up to us. No, he saves us to the uttermost. And so Paul writes this to Titus, and he's written it for our, hear, our ears this morning. Speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hatred, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He saved us. Past tense. Right now. As he is, what is that wonderful portion there? First John 4, 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. How, how can that be? Because we've been made vitally one. We've been united to the, the, to the Son of God. And Psalm of, uh, 100, if you turn there with me. Psalm 100. And we heard this in prayer earlier. I can't remember which, who it was, if it was Tyler or, or Gary praying this, but it's, it's so. Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God, it is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And we say with the Apostle Paul, by the grace of God, and it always begins with grace, beloved. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, all we know, all we have, all we are, all we we ever will be, beloved, is by God's grace alone. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Beloved, he chose us. He made us his people, and he chose us by his own sovereign purpose, by his own sovereign grace. The Israel of God, known as the children of the gospel, Zion, we do rejoice in him, and he's our king, the Lord Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior. And and remember, my friend, uh, he's not made king. <laughs> oh, no. R- remember, he was born king. <laughs> Beloved Gentile, beloved Jew, we are the circumcision, the true Israel of God, which worship God in the Spirit. But that circumcision, not made by the hand of man, but by the circumcision of the heart, by the operation of God himself, by God's hand. And we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have absolutely no confidence in the flesh. We say with our brother in uh, Psalm 34, Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, beloved, and let us exalt his holy name together. Now back to our our text, Psalm 149. Look at verse 3. 
Verse 3. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. Beloved, his name is worthy of all praise. His name is worthy of all worship. And so let us praise his name. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And so let them praise his name. And notice it says, and let us do it in the dance. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. Now, the next psalm, Psalm 150, verse 4, it says there, Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. So what exactly is this dance before the Lord all about? Well, we read about God's people dancing with joy before the Lord when Israel was delivered from 400 years of Egyptian bondage. <clears throat> Remember, when they crossed through the Red Sea and the sea closed in upon Pharaoh and his army and they were all destroyed, they sang praises unto the Lord. And it says how that Moses' sister Miriam and the others, how that they danced before the Lord. I mean, they were just overwhelmed with joy for God's mercy and deliverance. And remember, they danced sincerely, being thankful for the Lord's mercy to them. And they danced before him without any hypocrisy. I mean, I don't believe for a moment that they were dancing just to put on a show, do you? Rather, that display was a sincere dance before the Lord of an inward joy and gratitude. I mean, they were just overwhelmed with thanksgiving in their hearts before the Lord for his deliverance. And remember that time when King David danced before the Lord? Remember that one time when they tried to retrieve the ark of the Lord and they brought it back upon an ox cart and the Lord killed one man who reached out his hand to study the ark. And they took that ark and put it in the house of Obedidom. And the house of Obedidom was blessed for the ark's sake. And the ark of God that was in the holy of holies where the tables and the st of stone and the other things were inside that ark. And they had the mercy seat upon it and it was David's desire, his ardent desire, to have the Ark of the Covenant down in Jerusalem in a proper place where it could be set up for the Day of Atonement and for worship. And when they went the second time to retrieve the Ark of the Lord, this time they carried the Ark upon the shoulders of the priests as they were properly instructed to do so. And they didn't walk but six paces, and they stopped. And David danced before the Lord because God hadn't killed anybody as yet. And they did sacrifice. And they walked six paces when they walked six steps. In effect, they said, all right, let's not take the seventh. Let's sacrifice the oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. He was so happy. He was so glad. Now, I don't believe for a moment that Paul, or rather David, was dancing in any way that was the kind of dance a, a hypocrite would, would, would dance. I mean, I don't think there was any hypocrisy in his dancing. You see, David wasn't dancing to be seen of men. Rather, his heart was overwhelmed with joy and rejoicing before the Lord. Now, um, 
I'm not suggesting, or for that matter, considering that we dance when we meet together in this place. But, beloved, do we not dance and rejoice in our heart before the Lord, even now, when our heart is lifted up in worship and adoration? Do we not dance and rejoice in our heart before Him who loved us and washed us of our sins in His own precious blood? Even now, do you not feel your heart lifted up in worship and adoration to our great God and King for His salvation? You see, just as those occasions were occasions of great celebration for the Lord's mercy and His deliverance to those who were in great need, and and while we have no need to dance physically in the house of the Lord, but we do dance and rejoice spiritually in our heart before the Lord, making melody in our heart to the Lord for His great salvation. Look what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. He writes there in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, dancing and rejoicing in effect in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And you know, this, this dancing is a reflection of an inward joy. It's an outward expression that's going on within your opened, believing heart. And that's what Miriam was doing. That's what David was doing. And it wasn't done as a pompous religious show. Rather, they were so overwhelmed with joy that they couldn't hold it in and they couldn't sit still. And that's true of believers. They do rejoice in their heart before the Lord. And they do that before the Lord not to be seen of men because God looks on the heart. Now look at verse 4, back in our portion. Psalm 149, verse 4. says there, For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. Now, that word pleasure is also a word that's rendered in Psalm 85 as favored or uh, favorable. We read in Psalm 85, Psalm 85, verse, verse 1. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. All their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause us, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Beloved, God's been favorable unto us. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He delights in his people. The Lord's satisfied in his people. The Lord approves of his covenant people. How can that be? Well, first of all, let's consider who these people are. So who are these people that the Lord takes pleasure in? We read in Psalm 147. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Psalm 147 beginning in verse 10. It says there, 
He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, who are these people that the Lord takes pleasure in? Who are these people referred to as his people? Beloved, they're sinners chosen out of Adam's race, chosen by his sovereign grace. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee. And we read that in Psalm 65, verse 4. Our Lord said to those disciples in John 15, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And that's a blessed thing, is it not? You see, beloved, if God had not chosen us unto salvation, we would have never believed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, these are a special people. They're a peculiar people. They're a purchased people whom God has predestinated and foreknown to be conformed to the image of his Son, Christ Jesus the Lord. Chosen to salvation, taken into God's covenant of love, his covenant of grace from all eternity. A people made one with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who these people are. They're a covenant children, the children of Zion, his beloved people made one with their dear son. See, beloved, he's our life. He's our life. I was, uh, as, as best I, as I could, um, explain to Benny substitution. I was, uh, talking to a Benny, just a year older than me. Uh, boy, did he look old. Of course, that's the way it always is, right? <laughs> you look at somebody else, you think, well, that's, that's an old, wait a second, I'm 52. Do I look that old? <laughs> anyway, I told, uh, Benny, I said, uh, Benny, you ever have a, a zealous religious evangelist come up to you and try to get you to do something? And he intimated that he had experienced something like that. I said, well, by God's grace, if I ever encountered uh, an evangelist, it was trying to get me to stop doing something to start doing something else. You know that how that goes. Those wolves that, that try to govern your conscience to get you to do something. If that man came up to me, that, that uh, ignorant, religious, untaught man, evangelist came up to me and said, Joseph, would you want, let me, let me put you in a scenario, Joseph. I'm going to put you in the biggest stadium in the world. And they have a big video screen up on, up on, up on the screen. And that man says to me, would you like anybody to see your life put up on the screen? As, as soon as he said, my life, you, you're asking me if, if I want my life up, up on the screen. I would say, absolutely. <laughs> you go right ahead. Cause the only life anyone's ever going to see is a life of my Lord and God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> All they're going to see is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're going to see God's well-pleasing son living the life that I can't, undeservedly for me. Now, I'm all for morality. 
I'm all for a good testimony. (laughs) But I'm so thankful he does all things well for me. That Jesus Christ, God's well-pleasing son, is my life. (laughs) And boy, would that evangelist ever be surprised to hear that. (laughs) He doesn't even know it himself. Only God's people know that the Lord Jesus Christ is our all in all. He's our life. He's our testimony. Um, I so love uh, what we read in Isaiah chapter 40. You can turn there with me if you like. We've heard this uh, a few times, <laughs> and we're going to keep on hearing it. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says there, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Now, I can't comfort anybody, but he does comfort his people with the gospel of his son, the gospel of his darling son concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Don't speak to her head, speak to her heart. And cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And our brother, Top Lady, I love that stanza he pens. He says, and it really is a, a cry, an ardent prayer out to, uh, unto the Father. O Father, let the water and the blood from thy son's wounded side which flowed be the double cure. Save from wrath, <laughs> that's his blood that washes us truly and completely of all our sins. But that's half the gospel. What's the other half? Lord God Almighty, make me pure. Make me pure by the righteousness of your well-pleasing Son. And, and we read in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, uh, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made, made the righteousness of God in Christ. These people are God's covenant people. And the Father has given them these people to save to the uttermost. And how is that? Well, it's, it's, it's because of this gospel truth. His beloved people are made one with God's dear Son. So why does the Lord take pleasure in them? Why does the Lord delight in them? Well, last week we read from Psalm 148, He also exalted the horn of His people, the praise of all His saints, even the children of Israel, a people near unto Him. Praise ye the Lord. So why does the Lord take pleasure and delight in them? Well, it's because they've been made made one with him, vitally joined with God's Son, one with him through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord grant you to hear him. We read in Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, Behold my servant, behold my beloved well-pleasing Son, behold the Lamb of God, the one whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. God delights with his elect people as they're found united to his elect son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one in whom the Father delighteth. And the saints of God are near unto him. They're made one with him, one with God's Son. And our Lord said in John 17, I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Beloved, herein is love made perfect. Herein is our love 
made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. You see, beloved, we're one with him. And because of that, the Lord takes pleasure in his covenant people. And he's pleased with them. He's delighted with them as they are one with his son. All those saints found in him are near and dear unto him. We read there in Isaiah how he carries his people in his bosom. They're in his heart and we're one with him in his son, Christ Jesus the Lord, the one who has redeemed us by his precious blood. You see, beloved, he's made us new creatures in Christ. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. So who are these chosen people? How is it that the Lord takes pleasure in them? Well, for this one reason alone. Because they're accepted in God's beloved Son. You see, we're made accepted by being made one with Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Father speaks from heaven and says... This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And because we're found in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father is well pleased with us just the same. You see, beloved, he was pleased to choose us and to make us his covenant people in Christ before the foundation of the world before Adam ever sinned in the garden, before this world was ever created, in the eternal covenant of God's grace, in the eternal counsel between the, 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 the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God purposed to save a people through the doing and dying of His Son. And we read about this glorious truth in our portion in verse 4. It says in the second part, of verse 4, exactly what he does for us, beloved. He will beautify, beautify the meek with salvation. Notice it doesn't say, if we will. Oh no, God will. Not you, not me. God will beautify the meek with salvation. Indeed, his people shall be willing in the day of his power. You see, beloved, he will beautify the meek with salvation. And he makes them meek. He humbles them in the dust. And he makes them beautiful through his calmliness. He makes them beautiful through his righteousness. And we read the Lord declaring in Isaiah 61, verse 3, Isaiah 61, verse 3, that he will appoint, <laughs> he will appoint unto, and, and that word appoint, that's, uh, that's, that could be faithfully translated call, call. He will appoint he will call unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And in verse 10, in verse 10 of Isaiah 61, we read there, he's clothed us with the garments of salvation, that he's covered us with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments as the bride adorneth herself with jewels. Beloved, because of the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father takes pleasure in his people, so much so that he beautifies them with salvation, saving mercy and grace. You see, the Lord in saving mercy, he strips and humbles us 
You see, in power, in, in Holy Spirit conviction, He shows us what we are in of ourselves. Just an evil sinner. But He doesn't leave us in that condition. You see, He strips us, but He doesn't leave us naked. Oh no, beloved, He clothes us with the blessed righteousness of God revealed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the apostle says, I'm confident. I'm confident. I have no doubt about this. That God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will do it. He will finish it. He will beautify his covenant people with every saving mercy in Christ Jesus. You see, beloved, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He delighteth not in the strength of the, ho- of the horse. He t- taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. Rather, the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. He will beautify them with salvation in Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 5. Let the saints, let these saints who are near unto him, these saints who were set apart in the covenant of grace, let the saints be joyful in glory, in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Galatians. God forbid that his people should glory save in the cross save in the sin-atoning, once-for-all sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto them and them unto the world. Let the saints be joyful in glory, in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. For the Lord's salvation is put upon them by the grace of God, and we glory in His saving mercy. Let the saints be joyful in His salvation. Let them sing aloud. Beloved, we glory in the Lord's salvation that he's put upon us and the grace of God he puts within us. Let them sing. Let them be joyful, the saints of God. Believers, let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Beloved, when we lay down upon our beds at night or when we wake up in the morning, let us rejoice in the Lord always. As the Apostle writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. What a picture of the perfect peace we have in Christ. So why a bed? Well, because it's He's finished the work, beloved. There's nothing for us to do. He's the author and finisher of our faith, the Alpha and the Omega of all our salvation. And so whether we lay down upon a bed of health, or a bed of sickness, or our, our bed of the bed of our death, Let us rejoice in the Lord. The believer can say with David, I know, O Lord, I know what thy judgments, that that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. I know, O Lord, what thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. O Lord, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. And so, beloved, when we lay down upon our bed of health or sickness or, at the last, upon our deathbed, let us rejoice in the Lord. And when we lay down this body in the bed of the grave, and then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And as we return unto God in that day, though we be absent from the body, we shall be present with the Lord. Beloved, when the Lord is pleased to take one of our brothers or sisters from this time state, when the Lord is pleased 
to remove that saint from the land of the dying to the land of the living. Rejoice. Praise the Lord. We read in Isaiah 57, verse 1, The righteous perish, that is, their body dies, and no man lays it to heart, and merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. You see, beloved, while the body is resting in the grave, while the body is resting in the grave, but we're not there. (laughs) We're not there. For we're walking in the uprightness of the Lord. Walking in his uprightness, having been made one with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And beloved, we're confident. We're confident. And we, we say with the apostle, we're willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And Paul writes in Philippians 1 verse 23, I am in a strait betwixt two, having desired to depart to glory and to be present with Christ, which is far, far better. Far, far better. One of God's saints, one day, when dying upon his deathbed, uh, waiting to go out into eternity, and one of his friends came by and said, Are you still in the land of the living? Are you still in the land of the living? And these are reported to be the last words of John Newton. He answered at the last, No, my friend, I am still in the land of the dying. And soon, very soon, I shall be in the land of the living. (laughs) And beloved, we can all say the very same thing as believers. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Now, the two-edged sword represents the word of God, the truth of God. And what did they sing about? They sung the high things of God. You see, my friend, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, the mouth speaketh. And we sing about the glorious gospel of his grace. We sing about the high things of God. Redemption through his blood, forgiveness of his, by his grace, righteousness by his obedience, true holiness by his faithfulness. And we praise him in the preaching of the gospel. And we do so with this two-edged sword that's in our hand. Beloved, we've been privileged in God's good providence to have this word, the written word of God, in our hands this morning. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says there, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and, in, and is a discerner of the, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the word of God is, is sharp to wound and to heal. It's quick to slay and to make alive. The Lord operates upon us with his word as a powerful and skilled physician. He's the wise doctor that we need, who performs that needful operation upon our heart. And that's what happens in salvation. <laughs> Open heart surgery by the operation of God when he penetrates our cold, stony heart and he gives us a new heart that loves him. You see, the Lord operates upon us by the sword of his spirit, the word of God. And it's the word of God written, which is preached, 
and the Word of God incarnate, which is the power of God and the salvation of His people. In Ephesians chapter 6, it tells the believer to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the very Word of God. Now notice, if you will, the concluding verses, Psalm 149, verse 7 through to verse 9. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and the two-edged sword, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God be in our hand. Verse 7, to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. So how is it that we execute vengeance and punishment upon the people and bind the king's and put nobles in fetters? Beloved, it's the gospel itself that does that. We simply declare the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the effect of the ministry of the gospel. You see, beloved, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You see, the gospel alone takes vengeance upon the heathen, and he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, it's the gospel alone that binds kings and puts nobles in fetters of iron. Again, verse 9, to execute upon them the judgment written. The gospel ministry, as one old writer said, is compared to a two-edged sword upon the hearts of men, whereby Satan the armed strong man who once kept the palace as a king or prince is put out and put down. That sin which once reigned, that, that sin that once reigned like a king is dethroned and grace is set up as a reigning and governing principle in the heart. And beloved, that's how the king and nobles are pushed off their throne with the very gospel of our salvation. You see, this is speaking about Satan and sin in us of how it's put down through the power of the gospel. Now look what it says in the latter part of verse 9. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. All the elect of God are blessed with the privilege of hearing the gospel and believing the gospel. Our Lord said, as we heard on Wednesday evening, Beloved, blessed are your ears, for they see, and your eyes, or your, your ears, for they hear. This is Matthew thirteen 16, I'm quoting from, from. Let me slow that down just a little bit. These, these are the words of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. And he's speaking to his sheep, his lambs. Why do you believe the gospel? He tells us plainly. Blessed are your ears or your eyes for they see. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. What a privilege to see and to know how that we're accepted in the Beloved made one with God's Son, and because of that, made well-pleasing in the Father's sight. You see, to be adorned with His grace is to be beautified with His salvation and to have the high praises of God in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. This honor, this privilege have all the saints of God. It's not reserved for just a few believers. Oh no, this honor of hearing and believing the gospel, being made a trophy of his grace and the object of his love, being made a new creature in Christ Jesus, this undeserved honor have all the saints of God. And he's honored us with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, in the latter part of verse 30, this is the word of Almighty God. Them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now this honor have all the saints, beloved. And what do his saints delight to do? It says there in the latter part of Psalm 149, Praise ye the Lord. For it's right, it's good, and the Lord honors all of his saints here and now, and he will glorify them there and then in glory. And without exception, this honor have all this, all his saints. Praise ye the Lord, for by the blood and righteousness of his Son, the Father takes pleasure in his covenant people, and he will beautify the meek with his salvation, that salvation that saves sinners to the uttermost. Amen.